This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for November 1st, 2019. In this week's episode, Apple issues security updates, HomePods are bricked, and Catalina Dialogue Fatigue Syndrome. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. This week, we've got a special offer that is good for this weekend only. You can get CyberGhost VPN for 79% off. Listen later in the show to find out how. Okay, it's been a busy week for Apple stuff. We've had more updates, and we've had broken updates, and we've got a new product this week, the AirPods Pro, named in the correct grammatical form, such as Attorneys General, the AirPods Pro. Now, I can see you're wearing AirPods, Josh. I don't think they're pro, are they? No, these are definitely not the pros. Or, I'm sorry, these are, AirPods the Air- these are not the AirPods Pro, because I've got to say it grammatically yes. accurately. <laughs> yes, See, I've always wondered if the plural of MacBook Pro should be MacBooks Pro. And here Apple seems to be confirming a new grammatical style. Yeah, it is interesting because I've always found that funny that Apple seems to just avoid saying MacBook Pros or MacBooks Pro. They just say the MacBook Pro. Well, even they don't even say the. If you pay attention, sometimes Tim Cook or someone else will say, iPhone does this. Right, right. That's iPhone true. has that. Um, we have released a new iPhone. They don't say the new iPhone. They try to make it personalized. They, they, as if it's a proper noun. In any case, AirPods Pro is a proper noun. Um, I thought it was interesting that they've come out with a Pro version of AirPods. They're further diluting the word Pro. If, if Pro just means like slightly better than the others. Um, You know, we've had MacBook Pro for a year. We've got the iMac Pro, which is a big difference. We've got the Mac Pro, um, but the MacBook Pro has been around for ages. As I see it, there's two main features that make this, that set this apart as the Pro model. You've got active noise canceling and you've got the the three different size tips. Um, However, what bothers me about this product is that I just... I can't see this as anything other than a massive money grab on Apple's part because, you know, Apple gets slammed a lot for supposedly having expensive products. And, you know, when it comes to the prices of Macs and things, um, I usually defend Apple because you can make a case that if you really put the same quality parts in a PC, you're going to end up spending about the same. But... What is different, I think, about the AirPods Pro is that, uh, you know, there are active noise canceling Bluetooth 5.0 uh, AirBuds, you know, whatever, Air- AirPod-like things that you can get from other companies that sell for around 40 bucks, uh, even less. So, all right. I don't think there is good quality. Remember, there's a couple of things with the AirPods. It's not just that they're noise canceling. I, I would I would assume the AirPods Pro has better audio quality than the AirPods Amateur, which is not very good, particularly for music. But you have all of these things, like the ability to switch from one Apple device to another very quickly. Um, you've got the Hey Siri. You've got the easy taps to do things. Right. We talked in a recent episode how you can use your, your iPhone as like a, 
uh, a baby monitor or a spying tool with your AirPods on. So I think there's a lot of technology that you don't get for 40 bucks. That's true. What I don't like about the AirPods Pro is that they're in-canal earbuds. And with in-canal earbuds, I hear myself breathing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you've ever used in-canal, but you, you hear the breathe, the sound of the breathing throughout your body. Uh, maybe Apple's cracked that, though, because, you know, these are pro devices. So, <laughs> well, I did once have a pair of uh, custom made ear monitors back in this is 15 years ago when I was writing a book about the iPod, uh, a company that made ear monitors. Um, I got in touch with them and they said, hey, yeah, go to an audiologist, get molds and send them to us and we'll send you back these ear monitors. Now, ear monitors are what musicians use on stage. Um, if you notice in the past 10 years, when you get a close up, they've all got these things that are in their ears and they look kind of flat on their ears. They're not sticking out like earbuds and the wires go behind the head and the sound quality in those things is extraordinary, but you don't get that um, breathing sound because they go further into the canal. Ah, okay. So I, I just can't, I have never been able to use in canal um, earbuds. Anyway, I'm not buying any, you're not buying any, um, but this has been a busy week for Apple security updates, hasn't it? Yeah, so Apple issued a bunch of updates. Uh, the new updates that came out were for, let's see, iOS and iPadOS, we got 13.2. Uh, we also got version 13.2 of tvOS. Uh, macOS Catalina, we have 10.15.1. And we also have some related security updates for Mojave and High Sierra. And we have watchOS 6.1 and Safari 13.0.3 for Mac. How do you remember all these numbers? You've got a list there? Oh, yeah. No, I'm totally looking at a list. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so th there's there's a bunch of updates there. And they fix a, a number of security issues. But what I also found interesting is that Apple actually went back and updated several older advisories for previous releases of these operating systems and, uh, and Safari. So iOS 13 and iOS and iPadOS 13.1, tvOS 13, Safari 13, and watchOS 6, and macOS Catalina 10.15. Every one of these products, these, these are previous versions of them. Apple went back and updated the security announcement articles for those products to say, oh yeah, and by the way, we fixed some other things too that we didn't tell you about at the time. Now, Apple's done this before, but what's interesting here is that it's a huge list of things that they are now letting us know about. The 10.15.1 update was four and a half gigabytes. That's huge. Usually an update is a few hundred megabytes, maybe a gigabyte if there's a lot being updated. If I'm not mistaken, the full download of Catalina was six or 5.8 gigabytes or something. So four and a half gigabytes of updates on the Mac. It's like almost everything was updated when you think about it. Yeah, that is rather interesting. I, I, I don't understand exactly why some of these updates are so big when theoretically, I mean, there's some bug fixes and, you know, some security fixes, but that shouldn't be that massive. If, as you say, they've gone back to other apps and older things and fixed them. And remember, a lot of this could just be graphics that have been changed. Um, or th there's probably some frameworks that, I don't know, it's 500 megabytes. And if they change one line of code in it, they have to reissue the whole file. Yeah, it could be. Uh, they can't just do a Delta for, for things like that, but it it is a lot in one week. And one of the updates in particular was problematic. It was the home pods update should it be homes pod home pods. <laughs> 
um, 13.2, and it bricked a lot of devices. Now, it it's not entirely clear what happened, but it seems that most of the people who had this happen, it, it occurred after the update, but when, for some reason, they had to reset the HomePod or remove it from the Home app and re-add it, that it bricked it. Now, what really gets me about this is that if your HomePod is bricked, there is no way to fix it. You have to ship it back to Apple. And this is like, seriously, guys, you couldn't put a USB port on the bottom of this device to restore it in case something happens. I mean, there's there's even a micro USB port on the Apple TV device. Yeah. Um, that, that serves no other purpose but this, that if you actually have to um, restore it. And I, I mean... What's going to happen to the Apple campus one day when they have an electric problem? If they don't have a, a USB plug on the outside, they're going to have to ship it back to wherever. Um, th- this this obsession with design over functionality, I find surprising. How much is this going to cost Apple to replace all these devices? Presumably, you'll ship them back and maybe they have some other way internally of restoring it. But I'm not even sure. Well, I imagine what Apple is doing is that they they can't really send you someone else's refurbished unit, you know. If so, I would guess that they're either fixing yours and sending it back to you, or else just sending you a new one and then doing who knows what with your old one that you sent to them. Well, they can send you a refurbished unit. In fact, that's what they do for iPhones. Um, if something's wrong with your iPhone under Apple Care, they send you a refurb. And I wouldn't call it someone else's refurbished unit. It's just a unit that might have actually been new but that they send out because it's not packaged as new see the thing is they've got to get the software on the home pod somehow uh, maybe they have some sort of induction system to do that if you've ever bought a kindle yeah and it can come pre-registered with your amazon account right on it but they don't take each kindle out and plug it in to find the information there's some way they must be able to beam this onto devices with some sort of induction system so i'm assuming it's the same with the home pod but it is kind of foolish to have to repair all these HomePods for want of a measly USB plug. Speaking of foolish, admin, admin. And we have often talked about how you need to change the default password with your router or whatever device you get that often has admin as the username and admin as the password, you know, because it's pretty easy to remember that. Well, it turns out that Equifax, the company that, determines your credit worthiness has been sued in part because they used the admin admin username and password for a portal that contained sensitive information. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is so yeah. bad. Um, and we've, we've talked about Equifax before and, and the, the massive problems that they've had with uh, their security so uh, I'm not surprised to see them getting sued about this, but um, this is this is one of the most basic security things. This is something that uh, not every consumer necessarily knows that, you know, when you get a new device like a router, like you were talking about, or uh, a lot of these like Internet of Things type devices often have uh, some way to set them up. You know, you log in uh, to them using your browser or an app on your phone and and you can set them up. And one of the first things that you should be prompted to do is to change the default password. But that doesn't always necessarily happen with the, the way some of these products are designed. But for a major company with its own IT team, 
um, you know, where you're talking about people's sensitive, personal, uniquely identifiable information. Uh, if that's the kind of data that you're handling, if that's your whole business, you really need to have a, a you know a really experienced, knowledgeable security team, and it's really inexcusable for things like this to have happened. Okay, there's an interesting lawsuit. Facebook is suing the NSO group, and you'll explain who that is in a second, alleging that it was responsible for using the WhatsApp message platform to spread spyware earlier this year. How can they be sure about that? This is pretty serious for a lawsuit um, when it's really hard to know who's behind those things. In fact, someone's quoted in this article who says something like that, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was quoted uh, in this Digital Trends article. They they asked me about my opinion on this whole thing. So first of all, we, we did talk about this on the podcast. This was um, related to something that happened way back in May. And if you remember, at the time, there was uh, a big problem with the WhatsApp app on regardless of whether it was iOS or Android. There, uh, It was found that in some cases, there were some targeted attacks where a number of people had basically had their device compromised because of a remotely exploitable bug in the WhatsApp application. So what would happen is if somebody called you on your WhatsApp number, all that would have to happen is that your device would ring and now your device would be compromised. Um, so this was a kind of a big deal. I mean, this is a, a remotely exploitable attack like that is uh, is real serious. And evidently, this was something that was known to, you know, very specialized groups of people. And it was presumed that a government entity was responsible for perpetrating these attacks and sending out spyware to, to victims. Basically, this lawsuit sort of implies that NSO Group, which um, develops spyware for governments. Um, so this is like spyware in this in the very, you know, spy sense, the original spy sense where you're talking about. This is real Tom Cruise spyware. Know, yeah, exactly. Um, so NSO Group is is an Israeli uh, cybersecurity company that specifically markets its products and services to governments and law enforcement agencies, and that's it. And so they have some spyware called Pegasus, and that's what was being deployed through this WhatsApp exploit. And so Facebook, the owner of WhatsApp, is suing NSO Group. And basically saying, you're responsible for this attack, although it, it's, I mean, it's not really clear that they necessarily had anything to do with the attack against WhatsApp. The, the way that Pegasus spyware can be deployed does not rely on WhatsApp. It just, that happened to be the delivery mechanism because there was a vulnerability and someone used it to send Pegasus spyware to someone's, you know, smartphones. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure what Facebook hopes to accomplish out of this. I think part of it is basically they're, uh, they're seeking damages. So they, they want a court to basically agree that NSO group is at least in some way responsible for this attack because they enabled it. They made it possible to put spyware on someone else's phone. Uh, so it's monetary damages. It's kind of like they're trying to like sort of punish the company and also say, 
you and anyone affiliated with you is never allowed to have a WhatsApp or Facebook account or touch our services or our networks or our apps or anything. Um, so they're trying to get an injunction against them and and stop this kind of thing from ever happening again. Now, how enforceable is something like that? How realistic is it that this is even going to have any kind of real, you know, significant impact on NSO Group? Honestly, when you're talking about a company that gets funding from government entities and and their whole thing is espionage, governments have a ton of money. And so I, I don't think like regardless of how much money the NSO group uh, has to pay as a result of this lawsuit, it's not going to stop them. It's one of those things. It's we're always going to have this spy versus spy thing. There's always going to be vulnerabilities that can be exploited. And there's always going to be governments that are looking for ways to exploit them. But it is interesting, though, that Facebook is bringing NSO group to court. Okay, well, let's take a break. Um, Pay attention to our ad this week, because it's a one time only offer on CyberGhost VPN. If you're a longtime listener of the Intego Mac podcast, you may recall that we've often mentioned the privacy and security benefits of VPNs, virtual private networks. A good VPN can offer a number of benefits, such as hiding your personal IP address from sites you visit, apps you use, and people you email, securing your internet traffic when using public or untrusted Wi-Fi networks, enabling you to watch your favorite video streaming services when you're traveling, and even making it possible to get better rates when booking flights and hotels. Of course, it's very important to choose a VPN provider that you know you can trust. Intego's sister company, CyberGhost VPN, is our top recommendation for a safe, secure, and private VPN. And this weekend only, CyberGhost is offering listeners of the Intego Mac podcast an incredible deal. New CyberGhost customers can get CyberGhost VPN for 79% off. That's 79% savings on the best VPN solution that works seamlessly with your Mac iPhone, iPad, and other devices. Pricing this good doesn't happen very often. Use the special link in our show notes at podcast.intego.com slash 107 to save 79% on CyberGhost VPN to fortify your online privacy. Don't wait. This special offer is valid this weekend only, November 1st through Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. So, Josh... If I'm not mistaken, you still haven't updated any of your Macs to macOS Catalina. You're still running macOS Cuneiform, aren't you? <laughs> well, I have updated my 2007 iMac, uh, which is not supposed it to. Figures you would start with you would start with the one that's the most difficult to do. Of course, right? yeah. Well, yeah, and and as we've mentioned before, this is a Mac that's not supposed to support Catalina, but um, there is a way to do that that we've talked about. So. Uh, I've upgraded that machine. You just like difficult stuff. Yeah, well, it's it, it's it was fun. I also wanted to kind of get my first uh, real experience with Catalina since I hadn't been using the betas. And I wanted to try it out on a machine that I didn't really care that much about first. So, um, and I, I just, you know, I, I mean, my other machines are my production machines and uh, it's going to take a good amount of time to... Um, you know, to dig in and really do the upgrade properly and make double check and make sure I don't have any apps that are going to have any conflicts. So um, for right now, and I don't generally recommend this to people, but for right now, I'm sticking with the previous version and just installing the security updates when Apple releases them. Um, Now, we did mention earlier, though, that 
along with these new operating systems, whenever Apple comes out with a new version of macOS, there are a number of vulnerabilities that are fixed only in the current version. So that means that my system that I'm using right now is vulnerable. So <laughs> to, to certain uh, bugs that are just probably never going to be patched on Mojave. So uh, I will upgrade soon. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and that's why we generally recommend to try to stay on the latest version if you can. Okay, so everyone listening knows how they can target Josh's Max. <laughs> Some of us do have to update. In fact, I did so for just one reason, and that was to write an article on the Indigo Mac security blog called What Are All These Mac OS Catalina Security Alerts? Um, no, I updated. I upgraded anyway. I usually do. But I do write a lot about this stuff, and, and I work with it um, when it's in beta, so I'm familiar, so I'm ready to be able to write when these things come out. And so one thing that you will notice if you're running Mac OS Catalina is the first time you start up your computer, or when you install new apps, you're going to get a dialogue asking this. You're going to get a dialogue asking that. You're going to get another dialogue asking to allow this and to approve that and to authorize this. And what do we call this dialogue fatigue? There was yeah. a, uh, there was one of the, um, you remember the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercials back in the day with John Hodgman and what was the Just, other guy's name? Justin Long. No relation, by the way. Exactly. You sure? See, now we don't show Josh's face, but I have a feeling he might be that guy. <laughs> Your voice isn't that different. Anyway, th there was a thing where they were making jokes about how the, the Windows user had to always approve every single dialogue that came up. Are you sure you want to do this, etc.? I don't think we're quite there yet, but this can be a bit disconcerting for people who've been using the Mac for a while and, and who aren't used to this. So let's just go through all these different dialogues and why we're getting them. But the first one that we've seen for a few years is the gatekeeper dialogue. And, and what you see in it is the icon that's used for the security and privacy pane of system preferences with a little yellow alert symbol in front of it. Now, this is telling you that you've downloaded something from a website. Are you sure you want to open it? Uh, generally, this really only serves one purpose. Other than to annoy you when you're opening something you've downloaded, it's only useful if something has been downloaded without you knowing it and it's being launched. Am I right? Yeah, and th this dialog box has actually been there for, for several years. This particular one, the, the one that says that you've downloaded an app from the internet, I think they introduced that in, it was either 10.5 or 10.6. So this has been there for a number of years. You know, th this, this is a good thing because it's sort of, like you said, it's it, the idea behind this is to sort of just make you aware. Because if you've never opened this app before, if you've never seen it, um, and now all of a sudden this is opening for the first time, maybe someone else stuck this on your computer, maybe your kid downloaded it and you, you just, you know, you didn't know what it was. And so it's, it's good that it tells you the server that it was downloaded from. Now, of course, there are ways that you could kind of exploit this. You could have this sort of deceptive looking server. So it might say, uh, you know, appleupdate.com, which may not, may or may not be owned by Apple, for example. Well, the thing is, when you see this dialogue, the example I use in the article comes from s3.amazonaws.com. Now, you and I know what that is. Amazon S3 is their big cloud service. AWS is, you know, what they call Amazon Web Services, I right. think. But 
not everyone's going to know that. They might think this is something that's supposed to look like an Amazon domain. So in some ways, it could actually be more problematic to have this dialogue. Yeah, that's a really good point. And most of the time, apps are going to come from uh, some content delivery network or or some site like that, rather than the obvious, you know, domain of of the uh, where you think you're downloading the program from. So yeah, th- this is a fair point. It's it's not exactly clear to a user what that really means necessarily. Okay, notifications. Now, any app that ever wants to send you notifications has to ask you permission when it launches the first time. When it launches the first time. So you get an option, don't allow, allow. If you're too busy to think about it, you click don't allow, you'll have to go into the notifications preferences to re-allow it. This is a good thing. Did this start in Catalina? I seem to remember notifications were requested previously. Yeah, it's it's been in the operating system before, but um, the, I I actually like this. I, and you know what? I don't need a ton of notifications from like every app that I use. I always turn these off on yep. my iPhone as well, because uh, for the most part, there's very few apps that you probably really want notifications from. And, uh, you know, you don't want to just be pestered all day long with things trying to get something out of you or get your attention because it can be very distracting and take a lot of time, you know? Well, there, there are, I'm just looking in my notifications um, preferences. So if you go to system preferences, notifications, you'll see a list of all the apps that you've set to allow notifications or not. And I actually have quite a few that I want to send me notifications. Um, and there are even some apps that may send a notification in, if you have an app that's running in the background and there's an update available, there are certain apps that will notify you to let you know. Um, right. And I find that really useful. But like you, I don't want many notifications. What I want in Mac OS, I'm going to have to write Apple about this. Um, I want a feature uh, in notifications at the top level of the preferences, a little toggle that lets me toggle on the setting. Don't ever give me sound notifications because that is the most annoying thing. I'll approve notifications for an app in this little dialogue, but it's not granular. And then all of a sudden my volume will be a little bit too loud and something goes ringing really crazy and it's really a pain. You know, imagine if we're recording now and one of my apps starts dinging. Um, I hate that. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, to be fair, I, I, you know, the notifications on Mac OS, most Mac apps are not nearly as bad as iOS apps are annoying you and disturbing you. So um, I, I think I probably do have most of these apps turned on. Um, one of the things, one of the differences really between Mac apps and iOS apps is that uh, with iOS, you can get push notifications pretty much at any time. Um, and I think with the, the majority of these Mac apps, you have to have the app actually open to get a notification. It's not not with all of them because there are some that have background processes. Right. It has to be running either open in the foreground or in the background. For example, right. um, I use Deliveries, which is an app that uh, organizes all my orders to tell me when things are coming. And I'll get notifications during the day. Or even my calendar app, Fantastical. Even if it's not running, it can still uh, send notifications. Right. You, you know what really irks me, though? I'm looking in notifications, and for the podcast app, uh, in the left-hand column, it says that um, I have allowed sounds and banners, but there is no option to turn off sounds. It's an Apple app, so they don't give you the option. The Screen Time app has the same thing, sounds and banners, but there's no option to turn off the sounds. And here's one that I find really weird. Quick Look D. 
Now, QuickBookD is a daemon, which is a background process, which is used when you want to examine a file with QuickBook. Now, QuickBook is the thing, if you select a file, press the space bar, it'll show a video or a graphic, it'll show a PDF, um, it'll play audio, etc. Why is that notification? I don't know. I don't have that there. That's a weird one. But you're not running Catalina. That's true. I'm not running Catalina. Yeah, I, I, I do have I'm looking at notifications on my Mojave system. So maybe there's a difference. There. Yeah. OK, so Safari download alerts. Now, that's new, I believe, in Safari 13. So that predates Catalina by a month or two. And I think this is really good. So the first time you go to download something from a website, any website, any kind of file, you're asked if you want to allow downloads. If you see this, that means something is trying to download. And unless you click the link, then, well, it's very good that you're alerted. Cancel or allow. So if you've intentionally clicked on a link, say, to download a demo version of software, um, you're going to allow it. But if all of a sudden that appears and you haven't clicked on anything, by all means, click cancel. Yes. Um, if you do allow or not allow downloads and you want to change them, you go, you go into Safari Preferences Websites, click on Downloads in the left-hand column, and you'll see all the websites um, that are currently open and any others that you have already either allowed or not allowed to download. So the biggie is the special permissions that we've got in Catalina. And we had some of these in Mojave and maybe a little bit earlier. And that these are in the security and privacy preference pane on the privacy tab under accessibility to start with. You have to allow certain apps to control your computer. This sounds a bit ominous. Um, but in, so what are you seeing on your Mojave computer for that? In, in my accessibility, uh, pane under privacy in Mojave, I see uh, a handful of apps and there's only a couple that I've got the box checked for. Um, and it says, allow the apps below to control your computer. So, um, Dropbox is one of the ones that I don't really want, um, to have special access because what it does is it it puts up this, uh, to me, very obnoxious little bubble on your screen when you're in certain documents and things. And I don't want that. In Word, yeah. 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 So I leave that unchecked. Um, but And there's a couple of apps that I've specifically turned it on for because there is a particular use. Um, like a, a virtual machine app, I use VirtualBox, uh, which I don't particularly recommend, but it's a way that you can run uh, an operating system within your operating system. So if I want, want to run Windows. Right. I use VMware Fusion for the same thing, yeah. and that's in my list. Right. The, the kind of apps here are the kind of apps that can do things to your computer. So I use LaunchBar, right? It's a launcher. It can search a computer. That's got to be in here. Um, I use an app called Moom that lets you rearrange Windows. So all these kind of apps, it's normal that they ask permission. The only other one that I've got checked here is an app that I created called Invisibility Toggler, which I have not updated for Catalina yet, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, and it simply just uh, changes the visibility of hidden files in the Finder. Uh, not particularly necessary really on Catalina anymore because Apple actually has a keyboard shortcut in recent versions of Mac OS that kind of make that moot. But, uh, but because of the way that it operates, it wants to run shell commands and Apple scripts. And so uh, because of that, it needs special permission to control your computer. Okay. And by the way, the keyboard shortcut for this is command shift period, go into any finder window, press it, and you'll see a whole bunch of files that you don't normally see it's actually good to look around because you might see files that you shouldn't have there. 
Yeah, just be careful, though, because you don't necessarily want to delete uh, hidden things. There might be a reason that they were hidden. Yes, definitely. Okay, so here's one thing that's really new, and this is going to be one of the big annoyances. Um, This is um, permissions that you need to give when an app wants to access your desktop documents, downloads folder, an external drive. In the security and privacy preference pane, the privacy tab, you'll see two entries, full disk access and files and folders. So if an app requests full disk access, that means it's going to want to read and write files in different locations. And again, LaunchBar that I use um, asked for that. The Apple's own terminal app asked for that. Dropbox asked for that. Uh, it's because these apps need to access files in different places. Now in the files and folders entry, you'll get apps that ask for specific folders. So I'm seeing, for instance, removable volumes, network volumes, downloads folder, documents folder, et cetera. Uh, You will see this again once each time an app launches when it needs to access this stuff. I'm not convinced that this is really a good thing or it's really necessary or helps anyone. What do you think? Um, Well, I I do like... the, the in principle, I like the idea of full disk access um, being something that you have to grant. Now, full disk access is something that's already been there uh, in Mojave. Uh, the, the idea behind restricting apps from having full access to everything on your drive is you don't necessarily want every app to be able to to get into wherever uh, on your system. And there's certain apps that you do. Um, Virus Barrier is one of those. And also the free Virus Barrier scanner app in in the App Store uh, requires full disk access if you want to scan your whole drive to check for malware. Um, So certain apps like that, it makes total sense. But most apps really don't need to dig around into, you know, everywhere on your disk. And I think that's the idea and the reason behind Apple putting, making it even more granular in Catalina by adding this files and folders. Uh, you know, there's a lot of apps that really don't ever need to access the disk. And so uh, not even, you know, uh, your, for example, your documents folder or something like that. And so Apple's just adding another layer of protection. So apps that are following the rules, like apps in the app store, uh, have to request special permission if they want to touch those things. Um, For example, an app I use to edit graphics when I make screenshots uh, it asked permission to access my downloads folder, but it never needed to ask permission to access my screenshots folder. So the fact that it's limited to certain folders makes this not really entirely useful, in my opinion. So an app's not going to target your documents folder, your downloads folder, but maybe it's going to target some other folder, your music folder, your pictures folder, whatever. Okay, so don't forget that this weekend only you can get 79% off CyberGhost VPN. There will be a link in the show notes. Take advantage of this one-time offer. Josh, until next weekend, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. Intego.com.